sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on November 13th, 2016, on the basis of Hebrews 9, verses 24 through 28. Well, it has been quite the week, wouldn't you agree? If you attend here on a, a regular basis, you know that in the months leading up to this year's election, you heard virtually nothing about politics from this pulpit. And of course, that's very much by design. And now that the election is over, I'm certainly not going to break that trend in any way, but I did want to share with you two brief observations this morning. First one is this. The wildly differing political opinions that are out there in our country today are also very much present in this room. Here in this room today, there are people who voted for Donald Trump. There are people who voted for Hillary Clinton, and there are people who voted for neither one. As a result, when Tuesday's results were in, there were some people who were relatively happy, others who were more upset, and, and others who were somewhere in between. And as a result of that fact, there is something that is going to be happening in this room in about 15 minutes that is nothing shy of a miracle. In a world with divided political opinions, in a room with divided political opinions, all of us are going to stand shoulder to shoulder and we are going to speak 224 beautiful words that demonstrate our unity. Not just our unity with each other, but our unity with billions of people of every time and every place and not just any unity, but the one unity that matters most. We call it the Nicene Creed. We'll stand and confess that we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. In light of the division that is present in our country right now, that kind of unity should cause us to jump up and dance. And we should never forget that it is that unity, first and foremost, that we want the people of our community to share with us. That's observation number one. Here's observation number two. As the election unfolded, I think one of the more lighthearted and even more entertaining things that happened is that you had this string of celebrities who sort of came out on record and said that if Donald Trump got elected, they were going to move to a different country. Some even said they were going to move to a different planet, which is kind of impressive when you think about it. And of course, since that happened, there's been no shortage of people who have kind of been waiting and wondering to see if those very same people would make good on their promises, some even offering to help pack their bags and buy their plane tickets. Now, as of now, I am aware of no one who has left the country or who plans to leave the country on the basis of the fact that Donald Trump got elected. But I also know this to be true, that since the results of Tuesday's election came in, almost 30,000 people have, in fact, left the country. 30,000 people. And it wasn't by choice. It, it wasn't to fulfill some pledge that they had made. It wasn't because their candidate lost. 
It's simply because every single day in America, almost 7,000 people die. And as a result, they no longer call this country their home. Now, in light of that fact, and in light of the fact that, that Tuesday's election sort of changed the traje trajectory of our country and, and threw things into a little bit of turmoil, it is good for us also to remember that that day is coming for us. And in fact, in the grand scheme of things, relatively soon, that day is coming for us. That day when we will no longer call this country our home. That's really the message that the Word of God that's in front of us today has for us. The message that life is short. The message that our home here on earth and in this country is very temporary. The message that one day all of us will stand before God in judgment. And unlike the results of a presidential election, we won't have to wait for the results of that judgment to sort of trickle in until finally a, a news station can call a state for one candidate or the other. Unlike a presidential election, we won't have the electoral vote saying one thing and the popular vote saying another. No, when we stand before God in judgment, the judgment will be swift and it will be decisive. And the outcome of that judgment will determine whether we spend eternity at home in heaven with God or at home in hell without God. The word of God that's in front of us is, is sort of like that alarm clock. And its intent is to wake us up. God says there are no second chances. Here's what the writer to the Hebrews says. People are destined to die once. And after that, to face judgment. Now call me crazy, but I think it's really, really easy for us to mess that up on both counts. The writer says people are destined to die once and then after that to face judgment. But it's really, really easy for us to sort of flip them both around. To live as though the most important thing is that we're only destined to live once and that during that life we will face all kinds of judgments. And so it's really easy for us to care most about things that are only temporary and things that are only earthly. And it is so easy for us to care most about the judgments that we will receive from other people here and now. So for example, we, we pour ourselves into schoolwork because at some point, some admissions officer is going to make a judgment about whether or not we get into the college of our choice. We pour ourselves into sports because at some point, a coach is going to make a judgment about whether we make the team or see the field. We pour ourselves into our work because at some point, the boss is going to make a judgment about who gets the promotion. We spend an inordinate amount of time looking at ourselves in the mirror and standing on bathroom scales and trying to improve those things because at some point someone is going to make a judgment about whether or not to ask us out on a date. We decide that we're going to spend our money in very specific ways because we think that our friends are going to make a judgment about how successful we are based on the neighborhood that we live in and what is parked in our garage. Friends, believe me, I know how, how easy it is 
to live that way. I also know this, that tomorrow another 7,000 people will no longer call this country their home. And I know that one day, relatively soon, that will be true of us as well. And when that day comes, when we stand before God in judgment, all of those things that we pursued in this life and all of those judgments that we craved in this life will mean nothing. Instead, we will, we will receive the one judgment that truly matters. God's word is intended to wake us up. It says there are no second chances. Man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So that kind of raises the, the big question that we are looking at in this series. When that day comes, what's going to happen? What will God say? What will God see? Will he declare me to be a sinner or a saint? I don't know about you, but when, when I think about those things and when that conversation sort of plays out in my mind, here's how it sometimes goes. I mean, obviously, when, when God looks at me, he sees a sinner, right? I look at me, and I see a sinner, and, and God sees me a whole lot better than even I see myself. But now that I've gotten this wake-up call from God and know that judgment is coming, I'm going to beg and I'm going to plead for a fresh start and a clean slate. Because I know that there will be no second chances then, I'm going to ask God for a second chance now. Because I know I have a loving, forgiving, and merciful God, I'm going to ask for a fresh start and a clean slate. And friends, believe me, if, if God were to simply give us that, he would already be giving us more than we deserve. But here's my question. How does that go? How does that turn out, that second chance? You know, the urge inside of us to think that all we need from God is a second chance is so strong that God spent the better part of 1,500 years trying to stamp it out of his people's hearts. And here's how that looked. Each and every day there was a special, I'm sorry, each and every year there was a special day where God wiped the slate clean. It was called the Great Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur in Hebrew. Maybe you've heard of it. So on that day, the high priest, as a representative and a substitute for the entire nation, would walk into the very inner room of the temple, into the most holy place, and he would stand before God to make a sacrifice for sins. Actually, he made two. He offered one sacrifice for himself and one sacrifice for the entire nation. Now, I have to think that on the day that was immediately following that great day of atonement, the people of Israel probably felt pretty good. Fresh start, clean slate, new lease on life, but then a week passed, and then a month. And pretty soon there was this brand new pile of sins that they had committed that just kept getting higher and higher and higher. And so sure enough, after a full 365 days had passed, there needed to be another Yom Kippur. And the high priest had to do exactly what he had done the year before over and over again, no matter how many years passed. Every 365 days, there was another Yom Kippur. And friends, the lesson that God was trying to teach his people is exactly the lesson he wants to teach us. 
if we were to ask God for a second chance and he granted it, how, how would that go? Or what about a third chance or a fourth chance or a fifth chance? Would we ever get it right? And then even after we're on our, our millionth chance from God, all of a sudden the chances would run out and that day of judgment would come and we would be in a world of trouble. And so thankfully when, when God says to us, there are no second chances, he isn't only trying to wake us up, he's also trying to calm us down. Here's what the writer to the Hebrews says. Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is, is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see what the writer to the Hebrews is saying there? Everything that that high priest did on the Day of Atonement was intended to point ahead to what Jesus would ultimately do. Jesus is our high priest. He appears before God as our representative and as our substitute, and he does so to pay for sins. But there are two big important differences between Jesus and the Old Testament high priests. First of all, Jesus didn't offer an animal as a sacrifice. He offered himself. And second of all, Jesus didn't offer that sacrifice over and over again. Each and every year, Jesus offered that sacrifice once. Just as man, just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so also Jesus gave his life on the cross once, and then stood before God for judgment, for a verdict on all that he had done. Just as there are no second chances for us, so there, are no, there were no second chances for Jesus. He had one chance to make a satisfactory payment for sin. Otherwise, he would have been no different from all of those high priests in the Old Testament who had to keep doing the same things over and over again. So when Jesus stood before God in judgment, what did God say? Well, he, he raised him from the dead on the third day. He opened up the gates of heaven and welcomed him back in. He seated Jesus at his right hand on a throne and gave him power and control over all things. All of that is a clear indication of the verdict that God passed on what Jesus had done. But in addition to that, let's not forget one important thing. You see, since all of that happened, that same 365-day cycle, has repeated itself nearly 2,000 times. And do you know how many times during that period Jesus has had to do anything? Do you know how many times during that period Jesus has had to lift a finger to make additional sacrifice for sin? Not once. In fact, God the Father has declared that no matter how long the world endures, no matter how many sins are committed, no matter how many sins we commit, Jesus will have to offer additional sacrifice for sin, not once. There were literally thousands 
of Yom Kippur's back in the Old Testament, but God has declared that no matter how long the world endures, there will never again need to be another Good Friday. That's the verdict that Jesus received from our Heavenly Father for his perfect and complete work. So when God looks at you in, on the day of your judgment, what will he see? What will he say? Will he see a sinner or will he see a saint? God says it as simply as this, that those who put their trust in Jesus get the judgment that Jesus received. It's just that simple. Case closed. Verdict assured and eternity in heaven guaranteed. And so when God says to us there are no second chances, it, it both wakes us up and it calms us down. It reminds us not to live only for this life, but for the life to come. It reminds us to always have our eyes up and open, waiting for Jesus to return. But we do so confidently and joyfully, knowing that when he comes, it will not be to do anything more to pay for our sin. It will simply be to bring us the salvation that we're waiting for. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.